to White Oh yeah, are you ready to truck it? I'm Dooner here with the dude, Michael Vincent from the heart of Freight Alley. Beautiful, beautiful winter day. You know, Dooner, hey, Dooner, you know what weekend it is? Uh, it's one of those weekends where half the people go crazy. Uh, Are you one of those that go nuts when they change the times and stuff? No, I, you know, I try not to get like polarized by things I can't control. I feel like there's already enough of that on the internet, but... I, you know, I actually I like it because, uh, you know, during the winter, it makes it a little bit lighter in the morning time when I have to do stuff. So that's good. During the winter time, it's during the summertime. It's great because you want more sunshine. The only bad thing is that here in Chattanooga, we are on Eastern time, but we're so close to central time that the sun is on central time. So when we move that we spring the clocks ahead. It doesn't get dark until like after nine o'clock. And with a four year old and a six year old, that can be that can be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, I agree. It's got its positive. It's got its negatives. It's strange when you wake up in the morning and you're watching the news shows out of New York and and it's sunny there and it's still dark here. The sun hasn't. But it's the same exact time. But then it, but then you can get a full round of golf in uh, in the summer after work. Right. It's light till nine, nine thirty at night. Yeah, it's beautiful. I loved it when I I, lo- I loved it when I lived in Boston because I used to sail in Boston Harbor and you had to bring your boats and we had non powered boats. You had to bring them in before sundown and it was impossible to get a good sail in until, uh, until you get like the sun till about seven o'clock at night. So Good stuff, but hey, you want to tip the band? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since 2007. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. Now let's hit the headlines. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sounds so good. Find this on social media, too. Joining you all here up on the LinkedIn. What's up, Wayne? He says, uh, nice. Let's rock, guys. And uh, Hennig is saying four. So I think he's with you on that golf tip. Just going to share this out. Ah, really quick. There we go. There we go. Sharing this out. And now we can jump into the news here. Okay. Molson Coors. We've been reporting too much of this stuff. There's another cyber attack. Molson Coors, Coors says uh, cyber attack has hit its shipments and its brewery operations. Nate Tabak, our Canadian correspondent, he says that Molson Coors, one of the world's largest beer makers, has warned that a cyber attack is impacting shipments in addition to brewery operations and production. The Chicago-based global beverage company disclosed the attack in a Securities and Exchange Commission filing on Thursday, saying it caused a systems outage. The Toronto Star, citing sources close to the company, reported that it was in fact a ransomware attack. Yeah, and although the company is actively managing this cyber uh, cybersecurity incident has caused uh, and may continue to cause a delay or disruptions to parts of the company's business, including its brewery operations, production, and shipments, the company said in the filing. Uh, Molson Coors did not provide details about what happened, but it said it has engaged leading forensic information technology firms and legal counsel to assist the company's investigation. Yeah. So, well, the Toronto Star is saying it was a ransomware attack. The company isn't disclosing the type of incident, although it has the hallmarks of a ransomware attack. Um, hackers are, de- you know, in ransomware attacks, hackers can demand, you know, big sums of money, even more than NFTs in some cases, uh, paid over yeah. <laughs> in a, in Bitcoin or whatever. They're going to leak stolen data, but we don't know exactly the scope of this because the company hasn't released it. And Michael, when we report these stories, we're finding more and more often that companies are not being very forthcoming with, with what has been happening with their cybersecurity. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if it's it's government or whatever not releasing the facts that maybe some of these companies are paying up on this and encouraging this type of stuff, right? You don't want to encourage. It, it does beg the question, and this particular one is, is Dooner, would, would you shut down a brewery and then demand uh, money or something from people like me who like are freaking out because it's Friday and my beer is not going to be there? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that there's way too many of these <laughs> attacks going on, and I'm really not sure what you can do with it. I mean, if security can really keep pace at the uh, the scope and speed these hackers are, you get inside most companies, their security is just not that great. There's a lot of there's a lot it of isn't. Ways. If you remember when the iPhone first came out and stuff, they were hiring these hackers, to be, the ones that would jailbreak the, the iPhones and stuff to actually work to uh, secure those phones to prevent that type of hacking. So I don't know. Would you recommend most companies do that? Like like find some online white hat hacker and, and have them uh, test your stress test your system? I, I don't know if I would advertise that because that would make people probably go out there and prove that they can hack in there in hopes of getting a job and not going to jail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which could, could, you know, whole new, whole new line of cybercrime. I don't know. But certainly if I had the chance and I knew somebody was excellent at it, I'd certainly want to see if I could hire them to 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 help, you know shore up my my security reminds me of those old lifelock commercials remember the guy the ceo would go on tv and he he had a truck driving around with his social security number on it i think his his identity got stolen like hundreds of times i'm, I'm not even kidding <laughs> that's insane well anyway speaking of products that may not work uh eight no partners no problem nicola <laughs> nicola may do their hydrogen station solo they say all right gm doesn't want us nobody wants us we'll just do it ourselves alan adler alan adler reports that uh now that so there's a little bit of a reason so now that it can buy cheap electricity to make hydrogen in arizona nicola corp no longer needs fueling station partners who balked at the startup's months of distractions and ongoing federal probes into fraudulent claims Actually, Nicholas CEO Mark Russell, he told FreightWaves in a recent interview that things are changing. We are working with various potential station partners for some time last year. And that's why we thought there was a good chance that we would have one of those that would be announced by the end of uh, this year. Yeah, they certainly did. But, you know, things changed. But now they're getting a deal from the Arizona Public Service for uh, 2.5 cents a kilowatt. Man, where was that in Texas a few weeks ago, my friend? (laughs) Could have used it. You know what I mean? You should have started tapping into that that, uh, Arizona power. But the hydrogen fuel cell uh, uh, in the Class 8 uh, trucks like Nikolon's plans, you know, for 2023, they emit no emissions and they're critical for places like in California. So regulations there take an increasing number of diesel powered trucks off the road over the next 20 years, as we've been talking about. So Nikola plans to publicly distribute Arizona-produced hydrogen fuel in the Golden State, my friend. So they're going to import hydrogen fuel from Arizona to California. Matt Henning said, dang, that's a shame about those cyber attacks. Molson Coors said no craft brewer ever. Ooh, throwing a little shade right there. Uh, ooh, <laughs> yeah, it was Wicked Weed. Wicked Weed did it. Yeah, <laughs> Matthew Kane says, are you guys going to the Oats Truck Show? No, I am not going to the Oats Truck Show, but I will be at F3 November 8th through 10th. Oh, Go to live.freightwaves.com right. for the biggest live event in freight. Oats, no the way. Co- it's F3. The- it is F3, and it's the Coachella Freight. Yeah. You've never even been to Coachella. I've been there twice, and I can confirm this is the Coachella Freight. So that's, that's why. <laughs> Nicola, Nicola, Nicola continues to distance itself from founder Trevor Milton, who resigned as executive chairman two days before we were supposed to have him on What the Truck. Um, after that 67-page report by short seller Hindenburg Research came out, it really caused a lot of problems talking about that intricate fraud. Um, they've even gone as far as canceling a lot of these distractions. So they had the Badger that was going to come out. He got wrapped up in the cyber truck hype. He said, oh, I'm going to have my own truck, the Badger, and it's going to be so much better than Elon Musk. I'm going to out Elon Elon well. 
what now, brother? Didn't happen. Uh, they also got rid of their wave. You can't spend ninety thousand dollars on a jet ski. Um, what do you what do you pull behind your cyber truck, dude? You were you had your money down on that wave, didn't you? Uh, well, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. They had a contest <laughs> to win one, so I don't know if that's valid anymore either. Maybe they have one lying around in the uh, in the plant. They also so originally they were going to put out the Nikola One. That's what they marketed. That's what they had fourteen thousand orders on. But now. They're trying to assemble the tray, but there's even problems with that. So the tray is an Iveco truck with a Nikola wrap on it, and it's got some Nikola batteries on it. They've just had a video series. They brought it to the United States. They're doing uh, some track testing with it and all that kind of stuff. But they don't have any orders on this truck, Michael Vincent, and they also have supply chain issues. They said they'd have 600 by the end of the year, but they've cut that projection down to 50 to 100 trucks. So still a lot of problems for Nikola. Still worth billions of dollars, though. Yeah, is the big news here that Iveco just sold 50 to 100 trucks? I guess so. I could, could be, man. Is that the, is that the new story? <laughs> uh, here's something I've complained about a lot. It's the postal service, right? It has been terrible for the past few months, tracking useless, you know, priority shipping useless. I sent to my friend Taylor a what the truck hat the other, uh, like two weeks ago. It showed up back at the at the Freight Waves office where the person, they just put the, 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 the stamp over the send to and just sent it right back to me, charging me for it. It's just terrible. Well, John Gallagher reports that Postmaster General Louis DeJoy told lawmakers on Thursday that the U.S. Postal Service needs to make significant change if it hopes to survive, and the biggest of those likely will be further adjusting to consumers' growing appetite for packet delivery. Obviously, we've talked about that ad nauseum on this show. Yeah, we, we certainly have. And DeJoy says this plan is about service excellence at affordable prices, a commitment to six and seven day per week delivery, my friends. So you can get your junk mail every day of the week. My friend. <laughs> yeah, it will have it will have some big numbers, too. It's going to cost them around 40 billion dollars uh, and spur it to spur some innovation and growth for, for you to get uh, all those uh, those catalogs, those uh, pottery barn catalogs in your in your mail there, my friend and Lego Lego catalogs well he's been taking a lot of heat right i wouldn't call lego catalogs junk mail by the way take that back take that back <laughs> well i said junk mail and your lego catalog okay well as of the case at previous congressional I hearing DeJoy was called to testify over the past several months. Lawmakers, largely Democrats, have been badgering him about all of these service declines during the pandemic, ballot delivery in the run-up to the last election, and the problem delivering first-class mail that continues in specific regions of the country, one of those clearly being Chattanooga. But they were also eager to learn more, so it looks like they're willing to work together on this, but they realize there's a problem, so... Hopefully they can figure it out. You know who realized there was a problem in Canada with sourcing carriers and cross-border operations is our next guest. His name is Derek Staples. He's the sales manager at Dude Dillon. He's joining us out of Bellevue, Ontario, Canada. Derek, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Hey, look at that dog. Who is that? Who is that on the couch over there? Uh, that is my dog. Well, who's your dog? Uh, that's Buzz. 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 <laughs> Come here. Come here. I love uh, what, what are all the balloons for? Is it Buzz's birthday? Uh, no, those uh, I always decorate. I had bought an old town hall about 15 years ago and renovated it into a house. So at Christmas time, I decorate like crazy in here. I deck the halls and uh, those balloons uh, didn't deflate. So I've kept them up since Christmas. Lovely. A lo interesting Hulk Hogan color scheme for Christmas. Usually you see like a red and green. But you Kind of the Grinch and uh, Santa Claus colors, right? I dig it. Well, Derek, <laughs> the audience who doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and Do Dilly. 
Uh, well, I've been uh, in the uh, freight brokerage, trucking, transportation industry for about 20 years now. And I've worked uh, at freight brokerages and trucking companies and dispatch operations. I've been um, most of my uh, my uh, business that I've done throughout the years has been cross-border. And uh, for the past 10 years, I've been uh, collecting data and um, I've put together this resource uh, for uh, anyone looking for Canadian trucking companies that run cross-border, even domestic Canada freight. Um, it's a simple search, uh, filter, and connect with the carriers direct. Beautiful. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So, hey, can you tell us some things that are different about Canadian trucking versus the United States, uh, you know, in, in, in the U.S.? Besides the fact that like 100 kilometers an hour is not the same as 100 mm -hmm. miles an hour, which I learned the, the hard way in Ontario by the by the provincial police when I was a, a young lad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because I went to South Carolina when I was about 15 years old and I had my learner's permit and I got pulled over. Um, in on the way to South Carolina for going above the speed limit, and I only had a learner's permit. I didn't have a driver's license, and I was from Canada, so that created a little bit of hassle when I was 15 years old. <laughs> I imagine it did. Well, beautiful. You, you know, hey, you reached out to me, and you're like, hey, Dooner, I'm working on this app, and it's going to really help with cross-border trucking. It's this new Do Dilly app, and you you had to wait until it was ready for prime time, so this has been a couple months in the making, but now it's out, and now it's open in the public. Tell us a little bit about it. What does it do, and why is it important? Well, uh, basically, it's to help uh, people find like whoever's looking for trucking companies. If you're if you're a dispatcher, if if you're a freight broker, if you're a trucking company, um, it's it connects. The search is free, so on the website you can uh, search the type of carrier you're looking for, what type of equipment they have, what lanes they run. And um, it shows you, it gives you, it connects you directly, basically, with all the information on the carrier um, so that you can do your due diligence quicker. You can find, like finding carriers, it, it, unless you're on load boards and know and post at the same time the carrier's posting, you don't know really, um, you know, you can post and there's carriers that do that lane, but since they're not posting, you don't match up. So this basically also keeps the lanes. Uh, so you can search carriers by the lanes that they run frequently. Um, there's also going to be a spot where they can, you know, post their trucks live, uh, stuff like that. But basically it's to help connect the industry, whether you're looking for a job, if you're looking for a trucking company for any reason, basically. Yeah, you know, Derek, I was checking it out before the show, and it's really easy to use. I don't know if you went on there or not, or, or not, Dooner, because mm -hmm. I was slacking Dooner, telling him how easy this this thing is to use. It's, it's very cool, and there's a lot of great information there. How hard was it to get this type of information before this? It was, this is, it was, it's slick. It's a pretty it, slick little platform. It has taken a lot of time. Like um, ten years ago, when my daughter was born. I started um, a, a different business, Carrier Procurement, and um, it was a website uh, with just a directory website links to Canadian trucking companies. And I always wanted to have filters and stuff like that, but I, I didn't know how to uh, build an app and how to put it all together. Um, so it, I've been basically collecting data for about 10 years now. Um, 
even before 10 years, because I, I, I don't know if you guys uh, remember Jigsaw, which was bought by Salesforce, but I used to collect databases from Jigsaw also. So I have databases of 400,000 companies across Canada um, that, uh, sorry, across the U.S. and Canada, like shippers, so you can filter by what type of commodity, number of employees, stuff like that. So I've been building databases. I've always had a uh, a passion <laughs> for lots of data. <laughs> yeah, you're like the Canadian Kevin Hill. Kevin Kevin Hill has like his carrier list here in the United States, and now you have your own database and list compilation up there in the great white north so since you put the product out what has the reception been what's the demand been what have you what kind of feedback are you getting um i'm getting fantastic feedback from the freight brokers and from the shippers that i've shared it with my connections um they're loving it because it's so simple like that was one of the things also i wanted it to be as simple as possible so um, they're, they're loving it, too, because after they filter, if they're doing it on their phone, too, there's a direct link to the uh, phone number. You can click on it and it calls the carrier right away. There's also freight brokers in there, too. Um, there's, um, I think, uh, close to 400 freight brokers information in there. Half of them are carrier base, asset base, and you can filter that information also. And all those freight brokers also have been open for five years or more. They have their surety bonds and all of that good stuff. So it, uh, that's something that also um, I put together for owner operators and smaller trucking companies also. If they're looking, uh, like, say they go to Florida or they go, like, Ontario, B.C., they could do a radius uh, search of the freight brokers, Canadian-based freight brokers that are in the area so that they can find – and brokers that have been open for five years. So it's kind of um, – already uh qualified yeah (laughs) already been done on them (laughs) yeah that's that's what i was going to ask derek five five years is is pretty good it's it's the the due dilly implies that these things have been vetted that's that's not necessarily the case though for each individual person's there is there is the information there on their you know uh, their their safety rating etc that type of stuff or you plan to put that stuff in there um, if uh, once after you do a filter and you look at the profile, there is a, a link to their safer profile. Okay, cool. So you can actually click on it and it'll open up and you have all of that uh, um, information in front of you in seconds. But also uh, when you look at their profile, there will also be a LinkedIn uh, company link, a Facebook company link, their website company link. Some of them have their YouTube links in there also. And it's all... That's all free to search. Now, Derek, if it's if, Derek, if it's, if it, everyone together so that things go smooth. <laughs> Derek, if it's free, how do you go about monetizing this, or, or where you, How does where does the business come in? Uh, in the future, it's going to be a subscription base um, for the carriers. Uh, a very, very, very small amount. I haven't um, I haven't started that yet. But for the carriers, it'll be a subscription base. And as a, in the filters, for example, the carrier lane search, uh, they, they'll be able to change their lanes. They'll be able to, you know, post their trucks. Um, like a, if they have a live truck, they can post a live truck also. And it'll always show up in that free search that's on the website. Beautiful. Well, hey, Derek, before we let yeah. you go, since you're a Canadian, we need your expertise on this. At what temperature 
Is it, I don't know, should I phrase this as it, is it warm enough to wear shorts or is it too cold to wear shorts? <laughs> What's the dividing line there? I would say shorts, uh, it all depends on how you feel. Oh. And how many, and how many drinks you've had and if you're, Close to a bonfire or not? What's the yeah. coldest you've worn There's shorts? A lot of, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of factors. As I was going to say, that your alcohol blood content and the wind are the two key factors. Yes. Yes. You also need middle-aged dad energy, as like I'm learning. You know, then you threw the, the New Balance on, and then the, the shorts, and you hit the grocery store. This was a big fixture up in uh, Massachusetts in the Northeast. There's always that dude walking around in shorts when it's uh. When it's like yeah, negative I saw that post. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Derek, Derek, how do we send people your way so they can check out the program before we let you go? Um, you can always uh, go to the website, which is Do Dilly. It's shortened for due diligence, D-U-E-D-I-L-I dot C-A. Or you can uh, contact me on LinkedIn. You can email me, support at dodilly.ca. I'm always available and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. <laughs> nice. Well, hey, Derek, we appreciate it. Congratulations with the launch. And uh, we hope big things are in your future with this. It sounds super helpful, especially for cross-border yeah. ops. Take care, brother. Thank you so much. You guys rock. All your shows rock also. Thank you so much. Thanks, Derek. Hey, Rhonda, you said, you- Rhonda says, curiosity is killing me. Is that an incline bed behind you and your Peloton under the What the Truck shirt? That is a Peloton under the What the Truck shirt. Yeah, I wasn't trying to like flex on the Peloton, but you know, actually I'm moving into a new house at the end of the month, so I will have a new studio in the near future and it'll look much better than this. And this is not an incline bed. That's just like a, it's a regular bed, but it's one of those foam mattresses, Michael. I don't know if you have one of those, but I am a big fan of mine because when I move like on one side of the bed or the kids jump in, the rest of the bed doesn't move. Yeah, no, that's, I have the exact same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, but I do also have an incline bed, which I love. Hey, we've been going through comeback stories ever since January. We talked about how logistics is a great career, a great second career, a great third career. We all have taken different roads to getting where we are today. And Mitch Hickson, he's the vice president of business development over at Triumph Pay out of Brentwood. He's out of Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, He's coming on the show now to talk a little bit about his comeback story and his career journey. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us on What the Truck Today. Hi, guys. Good to see you. Now, Mitch, one thing I don't think Michael and I knew about you is that uh, were you a bit of a gearhead back in the day? Is that how you got your start in supply chain? Well, I don't know if uh, you call me a gearhead. Uh, <laughs> my uh, my dad's best friend uh, grew up in a little town in Fort Scott, Kansas, which is just straight south uh, down in the corner below Kansas City. And the second largest employer was uh, my dad's best friend that owned a trucking company. And um the personnel manager there at the time was Steve Wudke, and so um, who's the right-hand man to Robert Lowe, has been for 40 years of prime. And he hired me right out of college, and um, Danny Ellis was the owner. And uh, they, they admitted later they were trying to run me off. Here's a college kid. I was one of very few um, people that were not ex-truck drivers working there. And uh, and they first thing they did was put me to work in the shop, so I understood what the front end from the back end of a truck and trailer was. And then, uh, and then I was in road service uh, for almost three years of the nine I was there. Wait, Mitch, before we so, go any uh, further, hold on a second. I got to, what's the story behind this? Why did they try to run you off? Uh, just to see if I, how tough I was, whether I, you know, whether I could make it or not, you know, it was a, uh, it was a grind. I'll, I'll never forget. I came out of the shop and I knew a little bit now about trucks and trailers and what, uh, how they run. Um, and then I got, here, here's the phone desk. We didn't have computers at the time. 
And uh, and I was a six phone, a six line phone that rang all the time. And on the other end was an upset truck driver that had hitchhiked or somehow gotten from his broken down rig on the road to a truck stop and waited in line for the bank of phones then to get all to me, which was going to basically tell him how to go back out and use his tools to fix his truck. And uh, that was my baptism into trucking. And it was, uh, I didn't know any better. I just thought that was, that was what you did. That's awesome, Mitch. It it sounds a lot like my my introduction to trucking it when I started Roadway back in the day. You know, it was that I, I get what they were doing, and I get that you stuck with it and went through it because that's in it, back in the day, and especially in trucking, that's how they knew they had a good employee, right? They they took in a, a number of people, beat the hell out of them, and uh, whoever was left standing still there, were they knew they had some good people. They also moved you around through a lot of stuff. Do you think that was really important going through those different roles for for your career and going through that through that process? Oh, it was it was not important. It was essential. I mean, uh, I'll tell you, Mike. Um, you know the amount of mistakes I made in the first nine years. Well, just I mean they were exasperated in the first nine years. But the amount of you know you learn from your mistakes. If you don't learn, then um, then then you're just of no value. And and usually people who think they know it all don't end up staying around very long. But Oh man, I can't count the number of times I got called in on the carpet, and and uh, um, let's just say that back then the management style was a little different than it is today. And uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 it, so defi- it definitely it was. Well, Michael, I was talking to Andrew Silver yesterday. Andrew Silver, CEO over at Molo. Um, I know Andrew. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. he he's a trucking brat. You know, his his dad Jeff Fisher with with Coyote. He started at sixteen in this business, and we were talking about culture and modern culture and offices and using sort of those old school principles, but having to, having to act in a modern way with your staff, which is um, offices these days, they have to be much less toxic than that environment you grew up. And um, a lot of the brokerages we grew up in where it was like, you walk in the door and it's like, you're, you're disposable. You got to prove yourself every single day in one mistake. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they have you living uh, on the edge of fear a lot of times, but I mean, I, the one thing I will say about that, like you said, is that, some of these bad situations taught me more than some of the good situations. I'm not advocating for them, but I'm just saying part of the learning process is there. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I learned, I learned from, uh, from making mistakes. I learned from asking a lot of questions because I didn't know. Um, never been bashful about finding the right people. You know, um, I think it's, it's probably more important to know who to, who to ask to get uh, the answer to questions than it is really sometimes yeah. to know the answer. And, and then over time, the more you ask, the more you learn. I mean, that's the only way you learn. And, of course, making mistakes. And the mistakes weren't just um, the, of the ones I made. I, you know, I learned how not to manage people, <laughs> you know. Um, um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think it's extremely important. Uh, I think organized sports is extremely important uh, and competitive uh, spirit and really just the drive to win and to succeed. You know, I played uh, organized ba- uh, sports. I played uh, basketball in college. And, you know, to me, having a boss that was le- demonstrative was just like having a coach, having a good coach. I mean, you know, you, you, when you make a mistake on the court, uh, let's just say they don't pat you on the back. What can, Hey, Mitch, what kind of advice <laughs> would you give? What, what kind of advice would you give to young people starting out their careers in supply chain? Because 
for me, I remember when I started at FedEx Trade Networks, I met some of the people who worked there and they're like, yeah, I've been here for 20 years. The company's changed names and they've been doing entries the whole time and really had learned nothing new. And I had like this big fear of like ending up like that. I'm like, shoot, I don't want to be like 45 years old. And all I really know how to do is these Reebok entries. So I made it uh, part of my career journey to make sure that I was either switching departments within the company. And once I ran out of departments to switch, I was like, I got to go somewhere else to learn more information because I still need to build that education. I don't know enough about supply yeah. chain yet, and I want to be near the top. What, what kind of advice would you give to young people entering now who might find themselves a little bit stuck? Learn as much as you can. Uh, I think there's two schools of thought. You know, if you join a very large, successful organization, uh, that can work in your favor because it gives you a, a good resume. But when you get in there, don't, be, don't become uh, complacent. Uh, look to do more things. Whenever there's a new opportunity, change. Uh, going to a new department. Conversely, it's extremely valuable for someone to start in a smaller organization where they might be wearing a number of hats and have to understand um, how, how many aspects of the business work because um, that'll benefit you as well. I, I, I can just tell you, I went from I went from that small trucking company to J.B. Hunt, and uh, had I not had the foundational understanding and experience. Uh, to that point, wouldn't I wouldn't be here today? Ex excellent points. Excellent points. I would say uh, to echo that is just you know, learn as much as you can. Go ahead and and w don't risk spreading yourself too thin. But have the guts to volunteer and try new things and move into new departments and do other stuff. Right? Because you're looking for people who have that guts, and it's always going to help you. Should we go into the wheel of stupid questions, there, Dooner? We think? have to use an imaginary <laughs> invisible. Is up for that? We have to use an imaginary invisible wheel today. So pull the dumbest question okay. that you can think of out of your head right now. <laughs> Me? Yes. Okay. All right, Mitch. So, uh, all right. All right. Speaking of demonstrative bosses, what's the sassiest reply to uh, – what's your sassiest reply to a cold email? No comment. <laughs> Just no. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like there's a story here, Mitch. <laughs> your, your best non-Bobby Knight uh, reply since we were talking about basketball and demonstrative coaches. I love it. Well, hey, Mitch, how do, how do people reach <laughs> – Mitch, how do people reach out, connect, send you cold emails to get sassy replies and all that kind of stuff? So you really want me to get my email here? No, you don't have to. <laughs> it's just a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> but well, if, if, they, if they would like to, it's mhixon, H-I-X-O-N, <laughs> okay. at triumphpay.com. Okay, go get them, audience. No, I'm just kidding. You'll yeah. get him. We'll give out his. We'll give out his personal cell phone later. You, you like, <laughs> there you like, go. Like, it only accepts calls at 1 a.m. Eastern. Hey, Mitch, you're the best. Thanks. Don't don't be a stranger. Thanks for joining us on the show and sharing some of that career journey. Always a pleasure, guys. Take care. Take it easy. Thanks, uh, good stuff. Well, what's your sassiest reply? I I used to be sassier back in my day, and now I'm more like. I realize that time is really important, so I don't get as caught up in in just stupidity. I'm just like I'll just ignore it. Yeah, I used to I used to troll them pretty well, and 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 but never on never on the emails though. It's 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 always the you know the 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 calls. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll answer the calls, and as soon as I say hi, Mister Vincent, how are you today? I'll say thank you. Uh, I'm I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Just hang up. Yeah. yeah. You know what? We, this this episode is called the Dog Days of Freight, and we're about to talk 
to a guest from Brown Dog Carriers, who's named after, but Derek had his dog Buzz on earlier, too. So a nice surprise, a nice surprise. But before we get to the dogs, we got to tip the band one more time. Again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and his West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at New Legend Inc. Dot com. And right now, I'm going to invite a guest on who has been on radio many times. We don't do radio anymore. It's all podcasts and TV now. And it's Greg Morin. He is the president over at Brown Dog Carriers, a company that differentiates itself by doing a lot of good and lending a helping paw. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Did, and you have, is, is uh, Lily with you? She is with me. <laughs> She's right by your feet. Buzz was hanging out over on the couch when we were talking to Derek. Yeah, hang on. I'll uh, I'll get her for you. She, she's ready to make an appearance. Oh, beautiful. All right. Go wide on this one when he brings his dog over so we can get a good look over. Oh, there's Lily. Yeah, we have a few pictures of hers while we wait. Now, Brown Dog Dude, is a company. Your, dog, your dog's usually laying on your bed behind you. There, there she too. is. What a beautiful girl. And she's, what, 13 years old? Know. Yeah, she's 13 now. Nice. Now, how, how so how old is Brown Dog Carriers? Uh, Brown Dog Carriers, three and a half years old. We'll be uh, four years here in July, so. Tell nice. Us, how, many, how many miles does Lily have under her belt on your truck? She's probably got 500,000. Nice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, since, since we started the company, she doesn't get into a truck anymore. We, uh, we don't have any sleepers at the moment. And uh, so, and I don't drive as much anymore. So she, uh, she's an office dog. She likes it there and uh, she's partially retired. She spends most time at home and once in a while in the office. Now, did you start your career as a driver before starting Brown Dog Carriers? Yeah, I drove for 20 years for quite a few different companies here in Southern Maine um, and uh, did everything from flatbed work to delivering oil. So we kind of, there's a lot of companies around here to work for. I tried a lot of them out and then realized I wanted to do my own thing. So you went off and you did your own thing and you started Brown Dog Carriers. So uh, tell us about Brown Dog Carriers. What does Brown Dog Carriers do? What What is Brown Dog Carriers? Is it flatbed? Is it reefer? What is it? So we do some reefer work. Um, we do a lot of fleet supplementing. So uh, local grocery warehouses, dairies, you know, they have their own fleet, but maybe not enough drivers. So we'll go pick up one of their trailers, uh, deliver it for, for them to their customers. And we'll bring their trailer back at the end of the night. And, uh, you know, do it over the next day. Uh, that's the most of our customers are, you know, they, they have their own private fleets and we just help out uh, where needed. Hey, culture has been a big theme in the uh, Duneverse the past couple of days, right? On Freightwaves Insiders, I talked to Andrew Silver about it. We were just talking to Mitch about it. M- Andrew was talking about leading with vulnerability and, and creating a, a space for em- employees to, to talk and, and share their feelings about things, where um, Mitch was talking about an environment that he grew up in that many of us had, which is a very sort of more abusive type of brokerage environment where you're considered disposable. So let me ask you, what is the right way to run a trucking company? Because I know that you guys uh, sound like you're almost there. Yeah. So uh, when we started, uh, we had the mindset of, I want to build a company that I would want to work for as a driver. So we're very customer focused, driver focused, and of course the owners. So we treat each other the same way. Um, There's not one of those that are more important than the other. So uh, we treat our customers very well and our drivers very well with good pay, good benefits, home time. Um, it's 
very important to us to make sure they know that they're, you know, their family here. They're not just a number. Um, we're always going to take care of our people no matter what they need. They need to be home for a family emergency the last minute. I'll go out and I'll cover the run myself if it needs to get done. So um, our our people know that. And I think that's why, you know, our turn turnover rates fairly low. Um, and we're, we're happy about that. It's, you know, it's all about keeping everybody happy. You know, Greg, that's a, that's a great point. I, I couldn't agree with you more is, is you know, I, I was going to ask you about, you know, your previous experience as a driver and is that essential as a, a business owner and running it? But I think, I think you just answered my question right there is caring and getting out there and actually doing that job and understanding what your people are doing and make sure everybody's happy and getting along with them is it, running that company is essential, but you also reach pass that into the community. For instance, you in the early days of the pandemic, you had the uh, Helping Paw campaign uh, there and some other campaigns. Can you speak to that a little bit and how that campaign went? Yeah, absolutely. It went good. Um, we kind of followed along with one of our customers and uh, my business partner, Daryl, and I got together and we were trying to figure out what we could do to help uh, the community and uh, local organizations. So we came up with the Helping Paw program, as this picture shows, um, donated $10,000 to canines on the front line. And they, um, they rescue dogs from shelters, pair them with uh, veterans uh, with PTSD, and they train the dogs and the veterans. And you know, at the end of graduation, the dogs are service dogs, and the veterans have you know, their, their service animal. So it's a great organization uh, that we worked with last year. Um, we worked with a lot of ro- local restaurants uh, this year, you know, trying to help through the pandemic, you know, just doing random um, things for, uh, we'll say the, the Bitterford School Department, the lunch ladies that were still making lunches, even though the kids were home, uh, the buses would go out full of food. So uh, one week we brought lunch to them. And that's this picture here from Nato's Deli. Um, they're right up the street from us. So we do, we partner up a lot with those guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just trying to help everybody out throughout the community, um, no matter what they're doing is, you know, if people are doing good things and they're trying and we can help them in any way. Um, that's just part of our being a good community member. And uh, we're proud to be able to do it for the folks of our community. Uh, this year, we also brought Reese Across America to Bitterford, uh, our Bitterford cemeteries, and we placed over 3,000 wreaths on veterans' uh, headstones here, along with doing two trips to Arlington National Cemetery and one trip down to Bourne National Cemetery. And, you know, these are, we're, we're big into veterans. Um, roughly 70% of our staff are veterans. Uh, we're very proud of that. Um, they come from a family of veterans. So it's, um, it's, it's, what? Hey, great. Uh, also, proud moment for me to- Absolutely. I mean, we got to give you a little cowbell for all that giving. I mean, you guys have you guys have done a ton, a ton of stuff. Uh, you've also the pandemic hasn't just changed your style of giving, though. It's changed your business a little bit, too, because you've grown. Right. I think you've, you, I think you mentioned to me you've grown 38 percent. We're talking before the show. Speak to that a little bit. How has the pandemic changed business? So in the early days, remember when you couldn't get toilet paper or meat, uh, we deal mostly with food grade products. We have we offer grocery chain, uh, bottled, wa- bottled water facility. So all these things were moving quickly. So we were able to put an uptick on our drivers. We got some more staff going, and we helped our customers adjust to their workloads. So 
you know, a couple of customers slowed down, but a couple more picked way up. So we were able to adjust, you know, with the, with the demand. So um, that's the bonus of, you know, being where we are is there's a lot of industry here where um, I've been a part of a lot of it and I know which, what to do with certain things and we can adjust quickly if, you know, one customer is slowed down. We we cross train all of our staff, so we just shift them right over to the next, the uh, next customer to help them through their time of need, basically. Um, and when they slow down, the other one will pick back up. So we'll just go back over there. We we're very quick to move around when needed. Awesome. Well, Greg, how do people reach out and learn more? And I think that you might have a, a few openings over there over at Brown Dog, too. So if you want to put that out there, feel free. You know, the pandemic has also cost people jobs. So there may be someone looking for their next best opportunity. Yeah. So obviously, we're always looking for truck drivers. That's every trucking company I know of will always be looking. Um, but we're building up our brokerage program now. And uh, we're looking for a brokerage manager to help us get that portion of the business off the ground we've been so focused on our asset base and now that we've got that running fairly smooth i want to uh grow into the brokerage piece and we have a we could use some help with that so um you can reach up reach out to me directly at g m o r i n at brown dog carriers.com or go to our website at brown dog carriers.com Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. I do have, I'd be remiss not to ask this before we go. Here's my own stupid question. Do you ever wish that Lily could speak human? Absolutely. Every day. Um, to, to hear what she's got to say about things would be well, probably hilarious. And uh, the, <laughs> the office environment here is pretty loose and we try and keep it that way to keep everybody happy. But I think she'd have a good time with it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. Have a great weekend and uh, God bless Thank you, Lily. You. It was good seeing you too on air. See it. Thank you. <laughs> Love a good dog guest. Thanks, Greg. I, I do too. You know, I would imagine if a dog could speak human, they'd be incredibly insightful. Don't you think? I just it just occurs to me that if a dog could, if Lily could talk, she'd be you'd probably listen quite a bit. Going, hmm, that's pretty insightful, right? Dogs I mean, seem very observant. I mean, I talk to my dog all the time. You have a ton of rabbits at your house. Do you ever talk to the rabbits? No, my wife does all the time. <laughs> I can imagine that. I've been by her house. I could, I could picture that one happening. You know, so they do a lot of work. So Brown Dog Carriers, they do a ton of work for veterans. And I'm sure that put a smile on our next guest's face, Jason Gillespie, Senior Director of Continuous Improvement and Innovation at DHL Supply Chain. He's also an alumni of The Ohio State University and an Army Airborne Ranger. Jason, Ooh. thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <clears throat> Yeah, but I got to ask you, before we get into business here, I got to ask you about being being a ranger. Have you ever had to do one of those short jumps out of a helicopter like that you see mm-hmm. in action movies? How do you get the nerve up yeah. to do that? <laughs> well, we did the rappelling. Um, so not so much just jumping or the water jumps. Uh, those are more kind of seals kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I've done some pretty interesting things out of helicopters on the rooftops and riding on the rails. And uh, yeah, good memories. Wow. Wow. <laughs> hey, well, thanks. Thanks for your service, my friend. I've, I've got a oh, couple yeah. of friends. Here. A long time we're, ago. But, uh, we're Rangers, but yeah. By the way, before we start, I love that hat. That's amazing. Um, I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Favorite wrestler of all time right there. Oh, yeah. The warrior spirit, brother. Him versus Hogan yeah. at WrestleMania 6 was like a highlight of my childhood when I had that WrestleMania out of Toronto, Ken, at the Sky Dome. It was like the biggest thing on earth. 
That's amazing. Well, <laughs> aside That's from awesome. wrestling, aside from wrestling, one thing we talk a lot about on this show is uh, the move to fully digital supply chains. And part of yeah. that is robotic process automation. And sometimes when I talk about RPA, people's eyes like roll into the back of their heads. So tell us a little bit about RPA and, and why it's cool and help it, how it's going to help the, with the digital supply chain. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people, you know, you, you hear stories about how it is uh, automating a lot of back office and a lot of uh, kind of busy work. And that's all true. But what we've done a little differently is with our control towers and how we do our LLP, log- lead logistics provider, managed transportation kind of solutions. It's really just taking the work that we don't want to do off of our plate. Right. So we're really able to focus on the continuous improvement, uh, give people I, I call it a quality of life because, you know, who wants to, you know, every hour I've got to go check the websites and check spreadsheets and, and pivot data between systems. And it's just a, it's just not fun. I mean, if, you, if, if that's all you did, maybe you could throw some headphones on and just do it all day long. But, you know, we don't want to be doing that. We want to be doing smart work and, uh, you know, value added work. And this takes that work off people's plate. <clears throat> yeah, it does. And so it, it sounds like, um, so let me just ask this question. Does robotics process automation, does the RPA help with recruitment and, and retention? It, it seems like it would yeah. naturally fit there, right? Yeah. And, and especially like, you know, with a younger generation that wants to know they're working for a company that's doing things digitally. Um, it is a step in that direction to, you know, AI machine learning. It's not, it's not that by itself, but it is a step in that direction. I do think it's uh, it's very, it's cool. And I love when I'm recruiting and I can point people at some of the RPA work we've done and the videos we've got out there and get them to understand like how we're, how we're moving into the future. Um, because things have changed in the last five years in transportation. I've been in it for about 20 years. It's never really moved this fast and never really changed uh, this aggressively as far as innovation. So digitalization, as you mentioned. Now, you're starting to hear automation angst kind of percolate a little bit, right? So just as a follow up to Michael Vincent's question on this, this help with recruiting, um, it doesn't act as a deterrent at all, does it? Or are people worried that, oh, okay, this process automation is going to take my job away? Or is the real message here? No, it's just going to take like the BS of your job away. All that the <laughs> busy work. Right. It's the BS. I mean, <clears throat> and you do hear some of that, I think. Um, and I actually, uh, we, we collaborated on a future of work study with MIT where we talked about this kind of thing. And um, it's really interesting there. I think there are certain kinds of jobs that most people have accepted or just not here anymore. And if you look at when TMSs were relatively new, there was probably the same concern, right? Because, you know, before you had a TMS, you could run your entire operation off of a clipboard and a spreadsheet and before spreadsheets, right? So every time you have kind of an advance, <clears throat> you you have a little concern and say, hey, at least the kind of work I used to do is going to go away, but the work's going to change and it should just be different, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You touched on this a little bit uh, a little bit earlier, but but for those of us who really don't, because I have a hard time explaining this to people. I know what RPA is. Mm-hmm. I know it when I see it. I know what AI. Is. What is the difference between RPA and 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 AI, and how do they kind of work together? RPA to me, and I and I've used this analogy before. I like it. If, if when when I was in eighth, let's say when I was a middle schooler, I learned how to scramble eggs on my own. My parents trusted me to do that. They didn't trust me to make Thanksgiving dinner, right? Uh, RPA can do some basic instruction. You can tell it very clearly what to do. Uh, and as long as it's touching multiple websites and systems, it can do it just fine and can do it all day long. Um, you do need people to monitor it. You can't, you know, set and forget exactly, but you need to kind of treat it like you would an employee. Uh, keep an eye on it. Now for AI, 
that's decision making. That's getting into some advanced thinking, the way that we think about things, the way we, we react to uh, exceptions. And so AI is really that kind of end state. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a step in that journey. And you can use things like machine learning to train AI, right? So um, I love all this stuff. It is a little confusing. Um, I'd say we're, we're pretty early in the journey. I'd say the industry overall is pretty early in the journey. Uh, but, you know, digitalization is happening fast and probably has been faster because of the pandemic, honestly. Hey, let me ask you, since you're a veteran, right? And we talked to a lot of veterans on the show. It seems like there's also there's almost a natural marriage between a career in logistics after, you know, once you join the private sector, once you've been, after you've been in the military, because so much about it is, you know, about the movement of stuff, the movement of troops, the repositioning yeah. of, of armaments, the, uh, whatever it may be to different parts of the globe. Same with supply chain logistics. Would you recommend yeah. this career path to veterans? Absolutely. You know, and I was really impressed by, uh, by, by uh, as a brown, brown dog trucking, like what they're doing to reach out to the veterans is amazing. Uh, we, we have similar outreach programs. I'm part of a diversity and inclusion board and people forget that that's, that includes veterans. Right. And so, yeah, I think I gravitated towards it because a, it was one of the industries that appreciated my, my experience. And sometimes other industries maybe were a little worried if you had that background or, or concerned, you might come in and, you know, take over or be a jerk or whatever, you know, the movie stereotypes. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I gravitated towards it partly for that reason. And I think uh, it is a great industry for veterans. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, we really appreciate that. We appreciate your service and all of those things. Where do people go to learn more information about DHL supply chain, your capabilities, RPA and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I know I know my boss and my, his boss have been on the show. We're all talking about all business, no boundaries. Right. So we have a new uh, pretty cool podcast uh, that goes out, uh, I think, monthly. Um, but it's uh, yeah, we, we actually talk about RPA there. We talk about innovations. Uh, there's a ton of good content there about you know what we're doing with the industry and how we're moving forward in digitalization. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much. Here's a little cowbell for you. One more time. Thank you for your service. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Take it easy. Yeah, wow. you too. Wow. Ranger Michael Vincent. Ranger. They're impressive individuals. I've I've had the uh, pleasure of having a couple of them as as close personal friends of mine, and and, and uh, yeah, they're they're pretty impressive actually. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand what the Rangers do. They do some some uh, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, important I, stuff. Too. When I lived in Southern California, um, a lot of my buddies were Marines because of the base over there. Yeah, uh, it was a Camp Pendleton over that way, and. Um, Interesting group of guys, super smart group of guys. Although one of them got me lost on a golf course once. And I was like, how did you get lost on a golf course? I mean, we were like sneaking out in the middle of the night through the golf course. But I'm like, how do you get lost? On a- what would you do if we were in the middle of like Afghanistan or something? <laughs> it's because it was a golf course. It wasn't a jungle. Dude. That's if true. It was in a jungle. You've been fine. He's like, I haven't been trained on 18 holes yet. What do you expect me to yeah, do here? <laughs> they don't teach us how to golf. In, in, in <laughs> Good news. You're on a golf course. Bad news. We're lost. Let's hit the bumper. I don't Good news. Boom, boom. All right. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> did, that, did that happen outside your window? It sure did. It, uh, it, they were distracted by your wife's vacuuming. <laughs> <laughs> you, all right. Bad, bad news. You're a female truck driver. And I could, you know, when I was reading this, this is something I'd never think about, right? And sometimes you read these stories and you go, oh, yeah, that must be a big problem. You're a female trucker and you need some high vis clothes. But nothing is cut right for you. 
And it's really annoying, right, Michael Vincent? I'm sure you have like the type of jeans you like, type of cut of a T-shirt. You like all of those things, and those are well-serviced by the market, but you're pretty specific, right? Oh, very specific. Yes, it can be. Uh, I have specific brands that I go to that I know are going to wear all the time. I've always been that way. I'll put on a shirt. It's my size. Nope, not going to wear it. If, if your body's not shaped like a square, then most high-vis <laughs> outfits and clothing isn't really made for you. So what happens? You're a female trucker. You want your high-vis gear. Well, that's the exact problem that 39-year-old Melissa Gaglione faced. And by the way, she's going to be coming on this show in April to be talking yeah. about this. But I was reading a story on thetrucker.com, and she said, I was like, gosh, what would I be doing right now if I was driving a truck? How would I find the right gear to fit me? I mentioned it to my fiancé. You know what? I should just start a clothing company company and make these clothes because I'm so frustrated. A story we've heard from so many entrepreneurs, right? They wanted to they wanted to fix a condition for themselves. They had a problem that they knew they faced. And they're like, well, other people must face it as well. And they build companies around it. I love it. She starts this company, Safety for Her, a line of high visibility legging safety vests and glove designed for women. She does them in sizes S to XXXL. So, you know, plenty of inclusion there, no matter what your body size is as a female. And she said, I thought, what's the things I love to wear? Well, every woman loves to wear yoga pants or leggings. So she adapted those. She made those high vis for you. And you know what? She put out and she was right. The market did want these things. She sold out of her initial orders immediately. She got backing by other companies who wanted to pick this stuff up and sell it. And actually been running this business for two years now. Can't wait to have her on What the Truck. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And it's a great story of somebody just, you know, you, you how do people think of these things? Well, they see a problem that they have. And they solve it and they have the guts to go out there and go do it. Congratulations, sir. It's awesome. I can't wait to talk to her and find out the rest of her story, my friend. It's going to be great. Here's some other good news, my friend. You're a trucker and you just won $2 million on a scratch ticket. Yeah, scratchy, baby. (laughs) Right. Here's the bad (laughs) news, though, man. Your wife thinks you just wrecked your truck because you call your wife and you say, I hit it, man. And her response What'd you hit? Yeah. Did you wreck your truck? How's your truck? Are you okay? What's going on, dude? Like that wreck outside your your window we just heard. Maybe they were scratching it and they they saw two million dollars ran right off the road and hit your your hit your car. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But so Dave Partain was in a parking lot of the Eagle Travel Center in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee, yeah, right down the street, uh, right. My- and my wife is from Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. It's right up the road from me, right here. When he scratched off the lottery ticket on the hood of his long haul truck, a few moments later became a multimillionaire. The ticket he scratched was the third ticket in a string of wins for him. Wow. All right. So he's won it three <laughs> times. He won 25 bucks on a game earlier, then used that 25 bucks for another ticket, and then got the winning free ticket. Wow. Well, and then got the two million dollars. He was playing Boom. with he was he was playing with the house money. He's playing yeah, with the house, playing money. house money, bro. It wasn't even out of his pie. He spent the 25. He got free tickets. Boom. He's Dude, good. I got to say this, though. In the Northeast, in, in Massachusetts in particular, like the, the scratch ticket culture is so annoying. Like you go on a 7-Eleven and there's just so many people in line that just want scratch tickets. And like it, the one thing I don't like about it is it's such an addiction. Like these people, they go and, and they win and they immediately go and they cash it in for more. So I don't know how much. It's like playing meme stocks, man. It's easy to lose money that way. But you know what? Some truckers have won and he is not the only one. Check out Lucky McMoneybacks over here. Truck driver Mark Clark of South Rockford, Michigan. He won $4 million in Michigan's Lotteries Millionaires Club Instant Game in 2017. And boy, these scratch tickets are paying off. Maybe that's why there's so many people in line. Well, three years later, though, Clark, he's got his money, right? He's got the four milli. He's hanging out in the pool. He's already retired from trucking. He's playing this game called the payout game, and he won $150 million. 
What? A hundred. <laughs> they say lightning doesn't strike twice. Jeez. <laughs> you know, these guys that went over and over, it, it seems to me like they could just, they could get themselves uh, into a, into a position where the, you know, your p- people are paying them to just go and get these scratch off tickets for them. Guaranteed. I get all your winnings, but I'll pay you a hundred grand a year to just play the, play the. So there was this documentary last year on HBO called McMillions, and it was about the scheme, right? That scheme for the McDonald's Monopoly game where uh, these people like the security firm was like the only way to win was to get like a Broadway from them or Park Place. or I think Broadway is the harder one to get in order to get that million. It was was like the stupidest but most interesting story. The documentary is on HBO. The first two episodes are interesting. It kind of peters off from there because you get the story, but... (laughs) Uh, interesting nonetheless. Here, uh, if you don't win the lottery, though, you might be out uh, doing some bad behavior to, to, to pay for things. And this is the case that happened over here. Bad news. The slide was stolen from a playground in Burbank, Washington. Who steals a slide? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Well, here's the good news. The this, case, guy, this guy does. <laughs> the police were investigating a swath of catalytic converter thefts. They cracked this caper. 7 News Boston reports that a man is facing charges after he allegedly stole a 400-pound slide from a playground and he mounted it on the bunk bed in his mobile home. And I think we have a, I think we have a picture of it right there. Here's the guy. He's got that bunk bed there in his room. I think that might must be the cop sliding down that thing. His name is a Dustin Allen Bushnell. He's 30 years old of Burbank, Washington. He was arrested on Tuesday on this charge of possession of stolen property, according to the Pasco Police Department. Bush now apparently sawed off the slide. He repainted it because, you know, you don't want some parent through the window and recognizing it. You got to <laughs> you got to launder the slide. He mounted it on the bunk bed in his child's bedroom of his mobile home. And um, the catalytic converters that they were looking for, they were also find, found at the home that Bushnell has, along with dozens of other car parts he had been stolen. And, you know, I've been on trucking Twitter. I've been hearing, heard a lot of people mentioning this lately that they've either had catalytic converters stolen from their truck or there's just been a lot of talk about at truck stops about protecting your catalytic converters. And these have been targeting them because they contain precious metals like like um, platinum, palladium, rhodium, um, and those are valuable to metal dealers. I guess apparently, Michael Vincent, you can sell those to scrapyards and get up to 200 bucks, according to Edmonds. Yeah, it, I remember it being a big deal back in the day when when you first started get, having catalytic converters on cars. We started going from unleaded, you know, to, to unleaded gasoline. I remember it being a big deal. But uh, yeah, nice call out there. I thought that was a picture of his kid on that slide, but that is definitely the police officer uh, with a big <laughs> smile on her face. Too. Hey, before we go, just one shot, right? Give me one picture. <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you can see a slide on a bunk bed. I mean, especially if you have kids. I have bunk. My kids are in bunk beds. You have a what did you, what is your bunk bed fort at your house called? Oh, oh mega bed. Yeah, mega bed. Mega bed. <laughs> yeah. Now describe mega bed yeah. to uh, the the audience who may not be familiar. Mega bed. Mega bed is is like a California king and a half, about four feet in the air with with two different entry points for uh for uh uh with ladders uh for the kids for my girls <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's well, about a- it's about half of one of the bedrooms uh and it's just a bed four feet near with with ford underneath it you know desks and stuff underneath it. kelly mansfield says those catalytic converters make great toys <laughs> I don't, it's for, they I don't, make great toys <laughs> I, maybe she's saying that uh she stole them for uh <laughs> She thinks she stole them for the kids as well. They're great. They're good stocking stuffers is what they are. They're nice. Or at least the $200 that you you get for them are. Um, 
Coming up Monday on the show, we got Carlos Medina. He's a president at Spillbully. Spillbully is, uh, are these mats that these guys have. This is a very Shark Tankian type of segment oh, yeah, we'll be yeah. having, Michael Vincent. So it'll be right up your alley. But it's, uh, yeah. I, I guess his mats, uh, they're, they're designed to save your garage floor, right? Or your maintenance hall floor by, by absorbing oil and other, um, other runoff, catalytic runoff, maybe. <laughs> yeah, those are those are awesome. Those are awesome. We also have the CEO at uh, at Smart Hop. Yep, which co-founder is and CEO. Good as well. Who's that? Guillermo Garcia. He was awesome when he was on here a few months ago. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a good segment. Love talking to uh, to to Guillermo. So, uh, can't wait for that. What Richard, else we got? Richard Sharp from Big Tech oh. Delivery Services. He'll be there, and our own Richie Daigle talking about selling with data. You can find this show in your favorite podcast player choice. Look up What the Truck, or if you want every single Freightways podcast all on one feed, look up Freightcast. You'll get it all right there. Check out yesterday's Freightwaves Insiders with Andrew Silver, CEO of Molo, audio only. Follow me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Follow him, Vincent the Dude. What do you guys say? Peace and love, everyone. Hulk Hogan, I'm coming for you! Nice.